0: Welcome to The Wealthcast, where host Charles Bowinski and his guests share their global expertise and the most current information for your financial planning needs. Each inspiring interview will help you to maximize your financial stability and growth so you can have more time doing the things you love. And now, here's Charles.
1: Hello and welcome to The Wealthcast. I'm your host, Charles Bowinski. Today, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Christine Lobley, executive director of Fred's Footsteps, one of the leading philanthropic organizations in the Delaware Valley. Over the last 15 years, Fred's Footsteps has helped almost 1,000 families who are dealing with a sick child and all of the stresses and strains that come with that. They've distributed almost $6.5 million in 19 counties in Pennsylvania, South Jersey, and Delaware, and work today with more than 250 social workers in various hospitals around the Delaware Valley. Christine's going to share the story of Fred's Footsteps, the mission, uh, and I'm sure it's going to prove to be inspirational to you and perhaps give you the encouragement that you need to support organizations like Fred's Footsteps or perhaps even start your own. So, Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here and learn more about Fred's Footsteps.
2: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: You're very, very welcome. So, why don't we just start in the beginning, and, and if you could give us a background of how Fred's Footsteps got started and the mission, et cetera, that would be helpful. Sure.
2: Yeah, so the mission of Fred's Footsteps is to provide financial relief to hardworking families caring for seriously ill injured and disabled children. Um, We help with the costs associated with parents being out of work um, or caring for for their children. Our goal of the program is really that a child's health should be a parents only worry. Uh, We were founded back in 2005 after the passing of my dad, uh, G. Fred DeBona Jr. He died at 53 from kidney cancer. And after he passed away, there were so many people that came to us and told us about the difference that he made in their lives, whether whether big or small. Um, He always loved people and loved hearing people's stories, connecting with them individually, and, and really learning about how he could be a positive part of their lives, um, whatever that meant. If somebody was down on their luck, he he would try to figure out any way that he could be helpful for them um, and any way that he could um, provide support and lend a hand. Um, he he loved an underdog story and loved, you know, people who were just trying to get by and and something happened and they needed to to really just be able to to pull themselves up and and have a fresh start. Um, so it was really in that spirit that we founded Fred's Footsteps. Um, after you know, we we heard so many stories that were so comforting to our family, and we just knew that for all the things that we missed about him, and for all the things we we wanted back, um, the one thing we could keep alive was his legacy for helping families in need.
1: And, and that that's a great story. How, how did you decide that the that Fred's Footsteps was the answer? Because there there could have been other ways to do it, right? You decided that that this was the best way.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of was like a lot of things in, in, in life. It was a little bit of luck, a little bit of, um, you know, just trying something out. And we, um, a friend of my dad's came to us and said that one of the boards that he served on wanted to make a contribution and they wanted my mom to direct the contribution. And, you know, at that time, she just didn't know what to do where to direct it and he said why don't we start a foundation you can capture the money and figure out what to do with it later so you know here we are <laughs> 15 years later um still doing this incredible work but um you know i think we started in a way that a lot of other organizations identify a need and then Decide to start an organization to support that need, whereas we we didn't really know the need from the very beginning. We knew he was passionate about children and and healthcare, and we knew we wanted to combine those two things. But how to do that was really um, we we really struggled with in the beginning, quite frankly. Um, you know, wanting to, to to figure out a way to do it that was that was unique and um, different from what others were doing. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel of something somebody else was already doing. Um, we started doing a lot of our, our research around how we could help families caring for seriously ill, injured, and disabled children, and what we really found at that time was um, we were looking for this one thing, this one thing that that every family needed um, that nobody was providing. And and through that that discovery phase, we really learned there's there's not one thing and. So much of it depends on a family's circumstance and their situation. And we decided to structure Fred's footsteps in a way that we recognize that no two families are alike and no two struggles um, that these families are going through are are the same. So instead of telling families, this is what we'll do, we allow families to come to us with their most pressing needs. and, And we work with them to figure out how we can help them solve them.
1: Yeah. So it's, 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 very personal. It's not, it, it has to be as a result of the mission to be, it has to be very, very customized to the needs of the individual family.
2: Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, we, we have a great relationship with um, the hospital social workers. The way the program works is that um, families apply through their hospital social workers. Um, We have a social worker on staff, who's our program manager, um, and she works directly with them to identify the needs and talk through exactly what's going to make the biggest impact in their lives. and you know, for every family, it's it's really different. Uh, we we do provide our, our biggest um, funding need is really rent and mortgage. So what we find is that even if a family has insurance and their medical bills aren't an issue, that one or both parents just needs to not be working in order to to care for their child. Um, when whether that's temporary or or long term. Um, they you know the studies have always shown that children who have an active advocate parent guardian at the hospital with them do better and their their outcomes are better um and and not to mention the fact that children just need need a parent with them um so the the income gap is really the the biggest thing that that we see um for families caring for for critically ill children
1: and what's what's the range of beyond the obviously the, the the financial gap there the mortgage and the rent what's the range of services or equipment that you've that you've helped families with Can you give examples of those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we there's the the rent and mortgage, utilities, um, phone payments as well. That's a big thing. Families are so terrified that their phones are gonna get cut off and that they'll not have access to their children's doctors and therapists. Um, transportation is a huge issue, mm-hmm. just a, a huge problem um to get to the hospital. And and quite honestly, it, it makes it difficult for compliance with with medical protocol. Um, you know, when you have a, a child that's on on dialysis or needs to be at the hospital and the parents are struggling to get them there. That is just a, it's, it's really hard for those families to to have to make those decisions Um around skipping appointments, potentially. So that's that's a big issue for us as well. And then on the other side, for families who are caring for children with more chronic diseases, um, oftentimes what they need is more of a one-time extraordinary expense. So a van, a ramp, a home modification, Um, they've been doing fine and they've been really working hard to be able to provide what their family needs, but they can't afford these types of modifications or these pieces of equipment that could really make a huge difference in the quality of the lives of the children and the parents. Um, So we help with those as well.
1: The, the, the additional stress that the families must feel trying to, to deal with a sick child yeah. and then having to deal with all these other pieces, it, I can't imagine it. Um, it. It must be just a, an incredibly difficult period for these families. Uh, and it must give you, as a result, a lot of uh, personal satisfaction and organizational satisfaction to help them.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does. It's, um, I remember a few, uh, quite a while ago, probably about 10 years back, we helped a family who had a a daughter who had an illness and and she was basically the only one in the world. And they said it's some, somewhere in her gene pool, there was a gene missing that was causing some, some, some issues for her. And it was, it was like a severe case of autism, but not exactly. So, not a lot was was working for them and they they were struggling to find answers and to care for this little girl and one of the things that they needed was um, they wanted to put a fence in the backyard because she was she was a runner and she had no she had no concept of of danger um, and they said that they needed to put this fence in so that they could be outside as a family and that she could be safe um, and they put the fence in and maybe a year or two later they called us and just told us all about the difference that it made in her life, in their lives, in the siblings' lives, that the stress in the family dynamic went down so much, and that her happiness and her ability to just be a child um, went up so much. And, And those are the types of stories that you just can't, you know, can't put into words what it feels like to be a part of, of that difference in a family's life.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, that's amazing. Um, in the 15-year in the history or so um, at this point, how many families have you helped? And can you tell, tell me a little bit about the footprint that you're helping in geographically and, and the numbers of families that you've helped, et cetera?
2: Sure. So in the past 15 years, we've helped about 975 families. Um, we've invested over uh, close to $6 million into the community. Um, so it's been, it's been really incredible um, to be able to, to invest in, in families. Um, you know, we call it, it's we provide them funding and their grants, but it's really an, an investment in our community's future and keeping these families on their feet. Um, we uh, serve 18 counties uh, around Philadelphia, New Jersey, um, South Jersey, and Northern Delaware. Uh, most of the families come th- to us from either Chopper Nemours. Um, we find that you know most families that if their child is, is that sick, they're really visiting those hospitals. So that's an added level of stress for families who who live in one of the. Counties that's an hour or two from the hospital. Sure. Um, it's just it's just a lot of uh, cost and stress for that family.
1: How, how about um, sharing the the organizations that you've partnered with? I know, for example, the Eagles Eagles Care has yes. been a has been a big partner. Can you talk about that and and how that's worked and helped the organization?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So last year we were absolutely thrilled to be accepted as an Eagles Care partner. So the the Eagles, their community relations. Um, program is really around, and, and we we say it's really similar to what Fred's Footsteps does. They help less organizations, but w- with more meaningful impact. Um, so they select two or three partners each year to really go deep with and help to um, raise visibility and um, provide resources um, to the organizations. So it was an incredible partnership. We were so blessed to be included. Um, Th- this past season, uh, they gave us tickets to share with our families, which was just incredible because so many of these families would never have an opportunity to go to an Eagles game otherwise. They hosted a uh, a holiday party for us at the at the link um, where families were able to interact with players and see the the trophy and see the locker room and it was just. An incredible experience for for these families. We also, we run our own um, holiday program to help the families. So it was during that party that we revealed the gift cards that we were giving to them to help them shop for holiday gifts for their families. So it's a really special night and it's been an incredible partnership um, because it, it's just helped us to kind of Continue to grow our brand and to grow the mission, and to to partner with like-minded organizations who really want to invest in the the health and wellness of the community.
1: Yeah, that's that's really that's really a neat story. Um, I can't imagine. You know, your your dad, uh, I understand, was a was a huge Eagles fan, and and that would have been very meaningful to him. I'm sure to have that uh, connection.
2: Absolutely, he was—he was a diehard Eagles fan. Um, I, the day of the the Super Bowl, I actually um went to the cemetery and put a one of the underdog masks at the grave. Um, <laughs> that, I did. That's fantastic. I did it, because he was ju- he just loved the Eagles and they were everything, you know, he loved about this city and the you know the underdog status, the grit, the toughness. Um, and that's you know really what we see in our families too, is just this incredible grit. And we'll oftentimes be looking at an application for a family and say, gosh, how have they even been making it this far? How have they stayed on their feet until now? And, you know, they get to us often when they're, they're at a breaking point. And, um, we always say they're incredibly resourceful though. They don't need, this is not a handout. It's a, it's a hand up because they, they can really make a lot work with a little um but some, sometimes in their darkest hours just just need a little bit extra push
1: yes i i understand i think um you know it, as a parent you, you you can't imagine having a child that 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 was in that condition and where you were you were you were having difficulty meeting their needs or or whatever the case may be or just your circumstances didn't allow you to do it the stress from that must be incredible. and the relief that comes from getting some help must be really, really heartwarming for for those families,
2: yeah, it absolutely is. Um, you know, we always say no no parent should have to make the decision between going to work or being at their child's bedside. Um, it's just it's it's not a decision a parent should have to make. and no. um to be able to to take that decision off of their plate is is something really special and we're really blessed to be able to do it.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. How has, um, you know, in this, in the current environment where we're, we're all dealing with COVID-19 and I, I I know um, that has interfered with all sorts of organizations. I can't imagine it's, it's, it's not only interfered with the operation of Fred's footsteps on a day-to-day basis to some degree, but also made it more difficult for these families. Can you talk about that a little bit and how, how you've responded to it and, and and what the future might hold.
2: One of our one of the principles that we our guiding principles of the organization is really as I talked about earlier, agility and being able to be agile to meet families' needs in new and different and innovative ways. And I think that um, we've done a really good job of kind of transitioning to this new work from home environment and keep our operations running. Um, and then look at what is affecting families and and during just a time where where there's just profound need. How do we become part of a solution for that for families? Um, so we were very, very quick. Our grant advisory committee um, was able to go to the board and start a COVID-19 relief fund for families. Um, and what that did was at the time, and it's still it's still up and running, is that we provide gift cards, emergency gift cards for food, um, for groceries to to families who are caring for seriously ill injured and disabled children and it's kind of different from our core program in that it's more of emergency assistance um, you know a lot of social workers were reaching out to us and saying we have so much need but they don't necessarily fit the the criteria of the core program which provides a much more substantial amount of assistance but they they need help right now um, and we worked with them to say look the families uh, they, they're going to need to pay their rent eventually in utilities but there's a moratorium right now, right now on all of that, so what is what's really right in front of them and and that was you know being able to provide food and, and for their families um, so that fund was was started up uh, at the end of March so it was really really quick um, and we were able to start serving families right away and so far we've served over two hundred families and provided about forty thousand dollars in assistance through that fund. And I think you know it just gives families a little bit of time to adjust to a new normal as they were kind of figuring out how they could stay financially sound as possible when they when many of them have lost their jobs. I mean so many of these families we serve are in the service industry and um, really, really impacted through through layoffs um and and then a lot of families had to make decisions to not go back to work for the safety of their of their child um, yes. The, these children are they they really can't afford to to put their children at risk um for for the virus, and they had to make that difficult decision to not go back to work, which was is another really hard thing for for many families um so we're really proud of of that fund and that we were able to get it up and running quickly and we're continuing to look at how we can evolve that and how we can continue to meet needs for families that um that might not fit into the criteria of the core program, where the, the ex- there's an exacerbation of the illness, or there's a one-time extraordinary expense, but that their financial crisis is really due to the the COVID 19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, they talk about a vulnerable population. That's got to be among the most vulnerable. Absolutely. How how about you know in the new normal that we're going through right now with with COVID 19? I know many of your uh, or much of your fundraising seems to be from the events that you hold and that's that's got to that's got to create some change in strategy a little bit there can you talk about you know um how you're thinking about that and what what's coming up
2: absolutely yeah i mean we've been that's the number one thing we've been thinking about as an organization and i think all nonprofits um events are are a big business so for, sure they for are. us and um we were really lucky because We have two big events during the year. There's a spring um, gala called Party in the Yard, and we have a fall golf outing. And we were able to, our our spring gala was March 7th, and we were able to still hold that right before kind of everything fell apart. And many other organizations had to cancel very large events, which is, is just heartbreaking for the populations they serve we were felt very fortunate that we could hold that and it was incredibly successful. We did better than, than the previous year. Um, so, so we felt really lucky that, that we had that. Um, we then kind of pivoted to looking at how do we do our, we, we do a ladies event typically in May. How do we change that to a virtual event and how do we, um, do something that supports the community as well? So with that event, we, we did a lot of virtual events. We did a, um, virtual trivia night, a cooking class, a cocktail class, and then also partnered with other small businesses to promote their, um, their businesses. And they were giving a portion of sales back to us. Um, It was really successful. And I think, you know, we just had to, we just had to reimagine what it meant in a, in a stay at home world to, to come together as a, as a community and, and participate in an event.
1: Yeah, the, you know, being adaptable is is critical at any time, but it's super critical at this moment, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, what about the uh, the golf event coming up? I think it's in September. Is that is that right?
2: Yeah. So, the golf event is September twenty first. Um, we are right now. We're we're still go ahead with the event. Luckily, golf is kind of one of the the few things that you can do social distanced. <laughs> um, so, we're we're hopeful that that we can continue with the event. Um, We, you know, we have to change the structure of it a little bit and we're not going to be able to host a a large dinner like we have. Um, There won't be a shotgun start. We'll do tea times instead. Um, But, you know, I think one of the things is just in terms of donor relations, just being really transparent about the situation. And, and we just, you know, we knew that it was a big ask for people and and many companies that are, are struggling right now. And, and we also know that we probably won't make as much in previous years and that's okay. Um, but, you know, we were just really transparent about, we know this event is going to be different than you've seen it in the past. And we hope that, what you've seen us do at this event and what you've seen us do with the families that we serve, that we'll bring that back next year. And and for this year that you'll continue to support the organization. And we've had a really positive response so far. So we've been really grateful um, to our loyal sponsors that have, that have signed, signed on to support that event.
1: Well, that's fantastic. I think uh, transparency and authenticity are two core ingredients to any successful organization. And I'm glad you share that. Perspective, And
2: I think the, uh, w- what you were saying about authenticity too, I think that, you know, we, we always say we're, we're a family organization that's, that's helping families and our really one of our core values is that, that we want our donors to feel like part of, of a family, the Fred's footsteps family. And I think that the culture we've created over the years an authentic gratitude for our, our donors, our partners, um, it's been something that now during the pandemic uh, helps us to keep those donors engaged and wanting to help even more. You have to you have to show people what their money is going towards and show them how it's making a difference. And no matter the the dollar amount of what they contribute, to allow them to know that they're they're making a difference in the lives of a family. And I think that that culture that we've created over the past fifteen years is really what's going to help us get through this next 12 to 18 months as we you know prepare to to know that things are going to be different but that we have a really great loyal donor base
1: when you look when you look into the future so we've you've had 15 really successful years and you look you know i'm sure as an organization you're looking strategic planning wise down the road and when you look look at the next 5 10 15 years what do you think needs to happen for you and the rest of your family to feel like you've really lived up to the legacy of your father and, and um, what is it, what is it that you really want to achieve here beyond what you've already done?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a hard question. It's, um, you know, I think that I, I saw my father as somebody who doing good was never enough. You, you, couldn't do something for somebody and then feel feel good about it and back off that there was always more that needed to be done and there was always somebody else that that needed to be helped and that as somebody who was in a position to be able to help it was a responsibility to do that and i think for us um you know real success as an organization looks like continuing to expand and grow the number of families that we serve in this community um You know, a lot, I think, I think it's, it's hard for nonprofits because there's a lot of pressure to, to change and to expand and, and grow mission. Um, And I think that we've really been deliberate about what we, we believe that what we're doing and, and our data shows that it's working for these families and there's always unfortunately going to be a pipeline of families who need this help, and we want to be able to continue to meet that need year after year after year um, and I think that you know it's not a <laughs> it's not a fancy answer we don't have these big plans to to expand and take over the world, but I think it makes more of more of a difference just to stick to what we're doing and continuing to to do it for families coming up the pipeline and and that we want families to any family who needs our support to be able to to reach us and get our support.
1: Well, it's it's a great goal, and perpetuating what you've created and making sure it lasts into the future is a you know an incredible goal, um, an achievement all by itself you know, I'm really impressed with what you've been able to accomplish over the last 15 years. And I'm looking forward to learning about what you're going to, what you accomplish over the next 15. And I think the story is really inspirational. It's an incredible thing to be able to start something from scratch, a sort of entrepreneurially, right? Mm -hmm. And help people the way you've helped them. And I'm super impressed with what you've been able to, to, uh, to achieve.
2: Thank you. I really I really appreciate that. And, you know, it's it's certainly been a zigzag of a road to get to where we are today. And I think um we had so much passion about what we were doing that um in the beginning, we just knew to ask for help, gather as much information as possible, and kind of know our limitations and surround ourselves by people who, who could help us to, to learn this, this business and to learn how to be effective. And, and I feel really good about what we've done in the past 15 years and, and what we've been able to build and, and the way that we've done it too, the, the, how we've made people feel along the way, both on the donor side and on the partner side.
1: Well, I'm sure there are 900 plus families in the greater Delaware Valley that are so grateful to you that you did it.
2: Absolutely.
1: With that, I, I just want to say thank you for, for spending some time with me today and and sharing this Fred's Footsteps story.
2: Thank you.
1: And I hope to be able to have another chat with you in the not too distant future and learn more about um, what you've what you've been able to achieve. But I wish you the best of luck and continued success. And thanks again for joining me.
2: Great. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for joining me and Christine Lobley today to learn about Fred's footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about Fred's footsteps and visit their website, et cetera, uh, the links are provided in today's show notes. I hope this provided you with some inspiration, perhaps to participate in some local philanthropic events or charities in your area, or perhaps even start one of your own. Until next time, thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Wealthcast. You can get all the details on this episode, our guests, and everything you need to know so you can create and enjoy the luxury of financial independence by visiting us at moderawealth.com slash thewealthcast. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you catch every episode. We'll see you next time on The Wealthcast. This has been a production of Twin Flame
1: Studios.